Growing up, you and your buddies were always on the same page. Thursday was pickup basketball night. Saturday was an Xbox gaming binge, but then the buddies started falling off one by one. So what if they all have that ring on their finger and you're the only single bachelor left? You've got your own bling. And this one doesn't come with any commitment, just a few really good moments of chill bliss. Why the sheets not go for the gold? For a limited time at Sheets, get your hands on a $3.99 milkshake like the Toffreeze. Made with Hershey's Heath Bars. Unwind with golden ribbons of buttery caramel and a heaping scoop of whipped cream. And don't forget, you can save $1 when you order on the app. At Sheets, there are endless options when it comes to delicious drinks. Coffee house style cold brews, hot coffees, lattes, shakes, refreshers, and so much more. Everything is customizable so you always get exactly what you want. And when we say always, we mean 24-7, 365. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 1875 podcast, this time with a twist though. We'll speak a bit about that in a minute. I'd like to welcome Alex and Ollie who will once again be joining me to discuss all things Blackburn Rovers. Ollie, Alex, how are you both doing? Ollie, you first. Yep, good, all good. And Alex, you uh, you feeling good? You feeling up to it today? I'm ready to discuss Rovers after watching England last night. To be honest, it wasn't a great performance, was it? It was um, it was interesting, um, very defensive. I'm, I'm glad that that's um, not Blackburn are playing at the moment. Put it that way. Anyway, on to that twist. This week we're going to move away from our traditional format of, rev- of review, preview, and transfer talk. And let the podcast topics be decided by you, the listeners. Of course, this isn't revolutionary, but it is something different for us and it's sure to bring up some exciting topics that you want to hear about. Um, we're going to delve straight into it. And first up is a bit of a tough question from a um, friend of the pod and host of the Super BRFCS podcast, Ian Herbert. Now, boys, just listen. Keep your ears, keep your ears ready because there's a bit of information in this one. It's something that, I think you you can't really chicken out of. Um, you are now Steve Waggett. What would you do to keep Rovers going over the next six months? Where would you cut costs and where would you seek to derive new income sources and how would you sell that to the fan base? Um, Alex, I'm going to throw this one to you first. Um, it's a big question. There's a lot to unpack in it, really. Um, but how how would you how would you be Steve Waggett? I think it depends what context you're looking at this in. If you're looking at it from the angle of the owners have withdrawn funding and the club desperately needs to find money to basically keep the lights on and keep things running. Um, I don't think that's likely after seeing the share issue that Venkis gave out this week. So I don't, I don't see that being an issue. But I think if you're looking at maybe trying to get some efficiencies out of the pandemic and um, how we can maybe cut our cloth accordingly, um, as we've seen in from other clubs, I think Arsenal's situation has been quite well publicised about redundancies and all that kind of thing. 
I think if you're Steve Waggett, you've got to look at it as in how do you raise more money and then how do you cut costs? So I think if you're talking about cutting costs, I know we talked about this before we started uh, recording today, um, but we can talk about maybe the Rovers store. And I think with the pandemic, what we have seen and maybe what we will see going forward, looking ahead through the winter, is that really the main consensus at the minute is that there's going to be more restrictions placed rather than less. Um, And I think that'll have an impact on retail, uh, as we all know. And I think the emphasis will, again, shift back to online shopping. And as a result of that, I do think there needs to be big discussions held about how we approach the Rovers store going forward, Um, whether it only opens on a match day or whether it's open seven days a week like it like it was pre-pandemic. So I think there's a big discussion around that. Um, I think, obviously, the biggest costs of any football club are the wages, whether that be players, boardroom, staff. And I think that maybe some board members who say that the fans should stick with the club should maybe also stick with the club and maybe take a pay cut commensurate with that um, I know the players took a wedge deferral during the pandemic and I think if you talked about if you were desperate to raise money there's several ways you can do that you can do that by increasing ticket sales through making good offers to the fans for season tickets you can do that through raised sales of merchandise you can do that by increasing sponsorship revenue and you can also do that by selling players um, we haven't seen that this window and we haven't really seen that for the past few windows I know we sold Raya for three or four million pounds last summer but it still wasn't really a significant sum of money considering the amount we've actually spent on players so I think all of those factors have got to be weighed in and I think it, as with everything it would be a bit of give and take in all of those areas if you were looking to save money Ollie, Alex mentioned a few things there. Um, how would you go about selling some of that to the fans, um, as Ian asks? So, for example, with the Rover Store one, um, how do you go about selling to the fans that the Rover Store maybe has to close when we go to an online-only um, way of working? Obviously, people would lose jobs if that was the case. Um, how would you sell that? Yeah, I think one. Of, I think that's probably one of the first hurdles to overcome is that if you were moving to a online only operation is if you could somehow repurpose the staff that work there to be to maybe move into a more distribution or online setting to kind of reskill them in another area instead of making job losses and i know alex talked about um the playing squad and maybe subsidizing from their wages i think selling it to the to the fans i think if you were to make that kind of move and i think and it the kind of thing they should have done with deals around season tickets would be, I think, adding sweeteners around merchandise. So if you were transitioning to an online-only store and we're not a million miles away from Christmas, there's a lot of opportunity there to maybe combine it with, yeah, season ticket passes and do kind of bundles that obviously include things like iFollow, but then include, you know, different sets of merchandise and 
so I think there's kind of there's certainly scope there. I think one thing as well that the lockdown's kind of done for a lot of people is we have moved into a more kind of virtual world. So, you know, we everyone knows friends and family are having to do things through, you know, virtually through things that I, there's perhaps an opportunity. And again, you are leaning on the playing squad, but I have actually heard there are other clubs where they have actually made use of the players and it, you are asking them to dedicate their time, but there are things you could do to get kind of virtual interaction and engagement between players and fans. Um, to what level? I think that would be to be to be decided. Um, but there are certainly things you could do there that I think would actually encourage quite a lot of interest. If you can, I think it might be Crystal Palace did, um, I think they did like a virtual come dine with me with a couple of players, which on the one hand sounds quite silly, but if you kind of imagine some kind of some kind of deal that came in with kind of season tickets or merchandise where you got to, I don't know, have like a virtual drink or a virtual meal with, I don't know, Dak or, you know, one of the top players, that's the, that's going to generate a lot of interest. But again, you you know, you're asking for a favour from the players, but I think, you know, I think we've become much better at social media as a football club um, in the last few seasons. So it's probably, that's probably where I think to do it because I think that's the biggest pull you could have is getting kind of engagement and interest from a wider fan base would be making use of the players and like some kind of virtual streams. I do like that idea a lot. I think what I would say about the current crop of Rovers players is they, they do a lot for the club both on and off the pitch. I think you only have to look at Elliot Bennett's recent interview on Twitter. Um, mm. You know, that sort of thing. It feels like the, the, the players would be up for it. Um, I like the idea that you could perhaps use that to increase revenue streams. Maybe if you buy the home shirt, for example, you put into a ballot to, like you say, have a virtual drink with um, a player of your choice, if, of course, the players are up for it. And like I said, with the current crop, I think that would be the case. Um, a couple of ideas that I thought I'd have, and feel free to comment on these. Some of them I don't know the legalities of, so I could be well off, but... Um, obviously we have Blues Bar that was only open on match days is there a way that you can socially distance um, and stream the game in there perhaps charge for a ticket you're then obviously offering drinks and food um, again I don't know whether I follow allow that um, but that's an idea a way of bringing fans together whilst not watching the football on the pitch um, I think being with other football fans and almost experiencing a Rovers game together is something that would be beneficial. So whether they only do that for the Sky games or whether they can do that for iFollow as well. Um, I know obviously there's discussions over Tier 3 for Blackburn and well, Lancashire as a whole, but that's something that I thought. Because um, I don't know about you boys, and I'll ask you, Alex, this to you. The one thing that I miss most about watching the football is that is that camaraderie between supporters? Of course, we disagree all the time with with supporters, and because that's football, it's a, it's a game of opinions. But at the end of the day, we're all sat there supporting one cause and one team. And what I miss the most is just that feeling of elation during a win, and that when we score, that, that thing of cheering, um, cheering your team on with like-minded people. Is that something that you think would be a good experience, Alex? 
I, I do agree with that, yeah, in a way. Um, I think one thing the pandemic has highlighted is that we are we are such social animals and um, I think people have really struggled, um, particularly in isolation. Um, I know I have family members that have had to quarantine for two weeks completely alone and I think um, it does affect you in in a bigger way than I think we might have all thought earlier this year and I think any way we can bring people together particularly with well I don't really want to go into this but you know the country is so polarized and anything that brings people together in in a collegial way is a good thing in my view and would have my support obviously you would have to discuss safety protocols around that you know with social distancing and um testing or or something around that area um but i i I certainly think that's something that could be done and um I won't have an objection to it. I think one thing Rovers do have in comparison to other clubs is we do have a lot of space outside our ground. Um, Other clubs are quite hemmed in. It's either the stadium or nothing. And I think Rovers do have that. They kind of have like that perimeter, don't they, around, around the ground where they don't really just own the property of the stands. They actually own property around the ground. So... We do have space to utilise if it's needed. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't object to what anything that's been said so far. I think you all, met, you all come up with really good ideas and um, I think it's just unfortunate we haven't really been allowed to be in the position where we could utilise any of those ideas, but there we go. You're right, it certainly is a tricky one. I think there's a lot of trust involved in an idea like, like the one I put forward in that look, when people get a few drinks down them, they're not being idiots on purpose, but when you've had a few drinks, all of a sudden you, you start loving people a lot more, don't you? Um, and of course, there is that to, to combat. Do you limit the amount of drinks people can have? But is that just going to create? Create issues. It, it, it's a really tough question. It's a good question by Ian, um, as they always are. Um, they always get you thinking. Um, I feel like I've done okay answering that. Um, you'll have to let us know. Um, send me a message uh, when you listen. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting thoughts there, and ones that would help um, if possible, but also um, it's whether or not they're. Like I said, whether they're feasible. Um, next up, we have Pete Dog Thirteen. Obviously, regularly asked questions on the podcast, um, and he asks, "How does the club re-engage with fans, not just in Blackburn but the surrounding area, from Bury up to Lancaster? There's plenty of potential to tap into." Um, I do agree, and I know we were speaking about this prior to to the recording, um, Ollie. Um, it's something that will keep local for now within the northwest, with the question as as Pete asks. But how can Rovers re-engage? I've got some thoughts on this that I will share myself um, after you've spoke. But how do you think we can re-engage fans and and sort of bring fans that might be just out of Blackburn into that Blackburn Rovers bubble? Yeah, it is a very good question, and I think that. 
the northwest has always been it's got an oversaturation of football clubs across quite a small area so you you're always sort of compete, competing for fan base and trying to compete with the draw of some of the bigger teams certainly around manchester and liverpool so i think it's, it's been a it's kind of a never-ending challenge um i think if it's trying to re-engage with fans that that sort of fans that were Blackburn Rovers fans or sort of still are, but kind of stay away to kind of put maybe lockdown to one side. I think the, I think we talked about it on the previous part. I think the, the way in which we set things up pre-season with, you know, slow, slow merchandise, kind of poorly done season ticket campaign, a slightly naive pricing structure. Those are the types of things that aren't, going to get you up to re-engage with um, a kind of extended local fan base. Um, so though, I think those are the type of things that we've already said, that I think the fan, the, the club is very good with its social media. And I think we've got a squad of players that when the people stay away from games um, and that's their own choice to do so, I don't think people, I think generally it's a squad of players that people feel they can really engage with and support, whether that's at a distance or not. Um, so again, I think there's, I think they're going to kind of use those avenues more intelligently than the club currently has. Um, and I think you could probably perhaps get into looking at some deals around tickets just to get, it's about kind of resetting that habit of trying to get people to come to the ground. Um, and maybe looking at some kind of subsidising of travel um, to kind of encourage people to come if they've got, you know, short train journeys or kind of short drive drive times to get there and, or even if it's around setting up subsidizing travel or subsidizing some parking just to make it as easy as possible for people to make that choice to come um i perhaps even think in a lockdown scenario i think I, it's something i've thought about that actually that he was is actually quite well suited to whenever at any point fans are allowed back in stadiums i look at some grounds i've, I've been to plenty of grounds around the country that we're actually in quite a good position, um, a lot more so than plenty of teams I could name that we're quite well suited to it. So again, it's an opportunity that the club needs to think about how they use it. Use it if we get into a position where, say, we can bring in 10%, 15%, 20% capacity to the ground and it's sort of home, sort of neutral support. Um, that's a real opportunity that we may be kind of ahead of the curve a little bit because we we can, you know, we've got the kind of infrastructure to do it with social distancing, etc., and so on. That there's a perfect lure for people to do something together and actually go back to live sport, which I think, as and when that moment comes, is I think it's going to be huge and it's something that the club can look to seize upon. I think, um, but they, they just need to be clever about how they do things. And we've talked quite a lot about how. Yeah, perhaps haven't been um, certainly this season and even in previous seasons that um, probably not. Yeah, just do things a bit more sensibly and intelligently. Um, to kind of make it easier for supporters to make that choice. Certainly, and I think you make a good a good point as well with in regards to if we get the opportunity, it's re-engaging in that re-engagement could happen from offering people from the surrounding area who might not necessarily be Blackburn fans um, 
the opportunity to come and watch live sport once more because um, it is something that people have missed. Um, thoughts I had, Alex, I'm going to share with you now. Um, I just want your opinion on them. I know when I was at university, a big thing that clubs around there like Manchester United and Manchester City did was that they offered students discounted tickets and subsidised travel to go to a game, and that was advertised in the University SU. Now, I know that right now um, that isn't necessarily possible because with COVID, things aren't moving, but let's fast forward to a time when we can go back to games. Do you think Rovers can utilise the local universities better or the local colleges? Something like perhaps run a bus to Lancaster or run a bus to Preston at UCLan. And it offers the opportunity to say, right, okay, come to a game with this ticket that cost X amount. On that, you'll get a pint and a pie. Um, you'll have the opportunity to do a, to, to drink at the game, to maybe do a miniature pub crawl, if you will. Now, of course, there are things there in terms of you don't want to ruin that family atmosphere some do like at Rovers so you wouldn't want to get them them too drunk and create a bunch of uncouth youths if you will um, but you, it just offers that opportunity to bring in people like I said that aren't necessarily Rovers fans but it helps bring in revenue and it re-engages people and all of a sudden you've got a packed E-Wood if you get more people in the E-Wood people, people start wanting to come back Um what do you think of something like that, an idea where you try and involve students a bit more? I would just want to basically echo what both of you have just said. I completely agree with everything you've suggested. Um, I can speak only from my experience as a student. Um, I was a student in Exeter, and it's got a very small local football club, Exeter City, which are in League Two, but they still are extremely engaged with the student union and offer really good deals and discounts anywhere for the age categories of match day tickets, but also engaging with the student union and offering different deals. Um, and I I'm, I think maybe part of the reason for this, I think Rovers kind of make an excuse that Blackburn as a town doesn't really have a university, and I understand that. But equally... I think Rovers have focused too much on what's under their nose rather than look at the fact that I think more than half of our fans actually live outside of the Blackburn area, what would be considered Blackburn. Um, and I don't think people realise that Blackburn is actually really quite small. Um, and there is a big area of the northwest where we are effectively in a battleground with you know, Burnley, Preston, Blackpool, Wigan, Bolton, all these clubs, Accrington, Morecambe, there's so many. And that's you not can even throw that got... further afield though, can't you? Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool. I know obviously these are further afield, but mm. you, so I, you make a good point with fans outside of the area. I think all of us in this podcast now that are recording this don't live in Blackburn. I live in, in Waterfoot. Um, over Rosendale where um, so you are right in terms of like there isn't much that's sent our way um, mm. and we are competing and it, yeah I think one thing I would like to maybe mention 
is I live pretty close to the ground. I think I only live probably 15 minutes drive from Ewood. Um, I don't know if you know Mellor. Um, I live just outside of Mellor. I don't think I've ever seen a Rovers advertisement on a bus stop, on any building whatsoever. I don't think I've seen a Rovers advertisement outside of the Blackburn area. And um, I think that's quite concerning. I think that's quite short-sighted. Um, and I think going back to the buses point that you made as well about students, I don't see a reason why that franchise couldn't be extended out to all fans. Um, I think they could maybe add it as an option to a season ticket. You know, you pay so many pounds extra and you get a bus season ticket and maybe you could have a bus that starts at Clitheroe and then goes to Mellor and then goes to Ewood. And you could have another bus that starts in Accrington and stopped in Rishton and Great Harwood and went to Ewood. And you could have one that started, you know, over in Rosendale and that area. And in, and in Darwin, the same. Um, and Chorley. But we never really see that. And um, I think that is quite disappointing. I know other clubs do it. I know, and I was speaking from being in Exeter again. I and mean, I'm, I'm going on to a different sport now. But the Exeter Chiefs, uh, the rugby team, they're quite well known. Um, they're in the Premiership final, actually. But they offer bus free bus from the town centre to the ground. Um, and you saw on the Saturday, like 30 double-decker buses just driving past full of fans. Um, and we offer nothing like that. So I think it's something that we are definitely behind behind the curve on. And I would like to see some action when fans are allowed back into the grounds. I think the bus one is an interesting point, isn't it? I think obviously there are things to acknowledge. It's how popular are they going to be? Um, we speak as people that go to games and want to go to games. And that's not necessarily going to be the case for every Blackburn fan. So if you, like you say, you're, you're, you're in a bus from Rosendale, how many Rovers fans are going to take up that option to jump on that bus and think if you're only getting three or four, obviously money-wise it doesn't make sense. Um, but does it have to make sense if we are creating revenue streams that produce money? It, 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 is, a, it is an interesting question. It's one of them that I don't think really we can do any justice in answering because it, it's a difficult one. Um, and on that note, I do want to swiftly move on to another interesting question from Steve Mack. Um, it's certainly a polarising one, so I don't want either of you to hold back on us. Um, is there any chance we will see the owners at a game when fans are allowed back in? And I am actually going to add to the question as well. Um, if they are to come back, how will they be received? Um, Alex, just quickly, you know, are they coming back? And if they do come back, what's the reaction going to be? Do I think they'll come back? No. Do I think they'd get a good reception? Definitely not. Um, they might even get a snowball or two thrown at them. Um, I. It's one. It's one 
point of hypocrisy I think I'd have to pick up on with Rovers fans. I think we talk about the honours being detached, which I think is fair enough. But I also think it's fair to say that if they ever turned up at a game, we would we would tell them what we think their running of the club has been like over the last 10 years, and I don't think it would be a warm reception. Um, I think Sahil has got something to do with this. I think there's you know a lot of backroom stuff and you know, he's kind of kept in the shadows. I think it would be better if he maybe came out and tried to smooth things off with the fans. And maybe just one thing I'd mention is, let's say we got to the playoff final at the end of this season. It's extremely debatable. If we were the only club in the last 10 years not to have our own as president at the playoff final, I'm sure there would be many fans that would say they don't care about the club, etc., etc., but I think if they turned up at Wembley, there would be many fans that would say they were jumping on the bandwagon and they were only there for the success. And so I think this question is a really difficult one and I don't think there are any, there are any easy answers to it. Personally, I would rather they kept away because I, I can only see the reaction being a negative one and I really don't want that for the team. I think you make a good point there, Alex. I think whatever they do in this situation, there is going to be criticism. Um, Ollie, would you agree? Is it a case of if they do come back when we do well, it's just going to be seen as them coming back, you know, thinking that they've done all this, they've done all this for us and we're going to welcome them back with open arms. When, to many, that won't be the case. People will see it as them jumping on a bandwagon. Um, Or... If they, if they don't come back, are people just going to constantly ask the question? Because when we go to the forums, it's always a question that's asked. When are the owners coming back? When are the owners coming back? Do they need to come back? Can they just keep going as they are? Yeah, I, mean, I think Alex is right. I think they're damned if they do, damned if they don't, whether it was, you know, as things currently stood, not you know, not in a lockdown, you know, given where the team is right now or were they to turn up at Wembley or because we'd made it into the Premier League? Yeah, I think it's it's a very difficult position for them to decide what to do and they're going to get the reaction they're going to get. Um, I think at best, there'd be a small, you know, some proportion of the supporters that would just remain, in, you know, neutral. And But yeah, there's I don't think there's going to be any positivity It'll either be neutral or negative, um, and I think, and that's fair enough and to be expected. Uh, where things currently stand with them, you know, if you draw a line with the past, they're a very successful poultry firm. Um, they put a lot of money into the club in 2019. They've just put another six million in now. Forget the history. Without them, we'd be in a very, very dire situation so that's good um they have a very successful business i think we can be regarded as a almost as a sort of trophy asset and i don't mean that negatively at all we are a very small from a financial perspective we're quite a small proportion in terms of their overall net worth and we we sit over in a different continent doing what we're doing and they keep us solvent so as far as I'm concerned that's a good thing and um, we're quite fortunate with what's happening with the football league as a whole 
to be in the position we're in now. Um, that doesn't mean they need to come back. Um, some of my lowest moments as a Rovers fan, you know, came during when things were really toxic. And I've also been unfortunate enough to be at particular games with teams of other owners where they're not welcome. And it's not nice. I think I was at, I think when Birmingham were under Gold and Sullivan and they got relegated, I think we were there on the last day of the season and things got really ugly and, you know, people throwing coins up at them in their box and their kids were in there. And, um, you, you know, we've seen what's happened with them at West Ham. Just talk to any Newcastle fan about Mike Ashley. It's, it's such a difficult area to go into that as things stand right now, it's, I think we're in a good position to bring that variable back in for the sake of it. You know, it, it doesn't seem, I would rather they, like Alex, I think as things stand, I'd rather them not be there. Um, Cause I think it's just better for all concerned. Um, and it avoids the prospect of either polarizing fans, even, and I think there's been, some repair done just as a club over the last few years, you risk making some divisions again or kind of reopening some old wounds. And people that feel more strongly about it than others are perfectly entitled to do so. Um, it's just a difficult topic. So I'd rather it stay where it is. I think I agree. It's it's a very difficult topic topic to to tackle and, it does polarise. I don't know if there is a, a more divisive fan base than Rovers when it comes to the owners because we. you make a, a very valid point that give it, even in the, the current climate, as a club, I think it will continue to bank rollers and whether it's a sound business plan or not, As a, if you look at it in isolation, it's not, but obviously because they're so successful with other businesses, we, it sort of counteracts, doesn't it? And, and we are able to survive and we will survive. I think Steve Waggett's interview with Andy Bears was um, very revealing in, in saying that obviously we'll be here for another 100 years. Um, I think we'll leave it at that because I, I, don't, I don't think there's much more that can be said. It, it, it's like you said, Ollie, it's damned if they do, damned if they don't. There's always going to be a, a elements of the Robbers fan base that won't be happy. Um, that's not going to be the same element. They're going to be different elements. So there's going to be elements that are happy if they come back because they're happy that they've finally returned. But there's only the element that aren't happy, and there's going to be element that are happy that they're staying away and aren't happy that um, they are staying away. So it's a really tough one, um, and I don't think much more can be said on it. Um, and on that, somber. I won't say somber's the word, but it was more of a serious discussion. Um, we're going to move on to some more light-hearted questions now. Um, I think we're starting off with what is another fantastic question, so props to the listeners here. Um, Jonathan Kelman asks, Dak, Armstrong, Travis, Lenihan, if we had to sell one, who would you choose? And realistically, how much would we get for the player? And finally, how would you use that money? Um Alex, so I'm going to go in stages here. I'm going to ask you who you'd sell and give just a very brief explanation as to why. So, Alex, who are you selling and why? Bradley Dak, because he's the only player out of that list which we know what life would be like without him. Interesting. Um, Ollie, who would you sell and why? 
Yeah, um, I actually quite quickly came to the same conclusion that it would be Dak. Um, yeah, same reason we've we've coped without him. That's not to downplay his importance to us. Um, and that he's had two serious knee injuries now. So there's that's, a, an that's unknown. another fair point, yeah. The knee injuries are there and they can reoccur um, as has happened. Um, realistically then, Alex, how much are we getting for Bradley Dak now we've sold him? Well, we turned down an offer of £15 million from West Brom immediately after the League One season. Um, he backed that season up with another good season and then got injured last and December. And he was having a very good season up until his injury as well. Yeah. You would have to say it would be more than £15 million. Um, I, I don't know whether that would be a fair fee on the back of his knee injury, like we just mentioned, because obviously it's extremely subjective whether a player is as good or not after um, an injury like that. But according to Dak, he feels as fit as he's ever felt before. Um, let's see, he comes back in November, scores five goals before January, and there's offers coming in for him. Um how much? Probably between 15 and 20 million, I would say. I'm going to push you for an exact amount. 17 million. Oh, Only because I like them. You've got seven. splinters on your bottom. <laughs> um, Ollie, um, how much is Dak being sold for then? Um, yeah, so I think if you, let's say he was going to get sold in January, he comes back and he's as he was before as a, as a base. I look at so top assets in the championship. Jared Bowen in January uh, went to West Ham for 18 million, and I'd probably put him on a par with Dak as a player. He wasn't the last year of his country. He, he was going to be going on a free in the following uh, September. So the September has gone. He would have been free, I believe. Yeah. So does that change it? Is that a case of we obviously Dak's got an additional an extra year? Yeah, and then, and then a year in an option now further. And then you've got sort of in terms of goals and sort of assist, you've got Ollie Watkins went to Villa for 28 million. I think there was 7 million in add-ons for Bowen as well, depending on conditions. And I think, although he didn't hasn't left, I think the Ben Rama, the money floating around for Ben Rama, who is a better player than Dak in similar position, was more than Watkins. I think the, it was touted as probably early 30s. So I would say I think Dak's 25 on those kind of, I think in a sort of middle ground, the market's moved on a bit. Um, Bowen, it's a Bowen 18 plus seven. If Ben Rama's 30, I think Dak, you probably fall, fall sort of between those two come okay. January. So I'll say 25. 25. I think I, think I would probably... I don't know I'd sell. I think it's a very tough one. I don't like that question at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I would go Dak just because he's who we get the most money for. I think it'd be around £20 million. Um, Where would you reinvest it? Would you look for a similar player to Dak, just cheaper, Alex? Yes. I, th I think it would depend on where the gaps in the squad were at that particular time. You'd obviously look for an immediate replacement for the goals and assists, but then you'd obviously defer to what the weak areas of the team were at any particular time, which 
I suppose we can't speculate on right now. But for, if it was, for, ne- for example, next summer and um, we had no left back, then you'd obviously utilise the money there as well. Um, but that's a difficult hypothetical, really, to answer. You agree with me, Alex, there, Ollie? The yeah. thing that you cross that bridge when you come to it? Spend it all on more expensive strikers that don't score. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, uh, um, no, yeah, I think I'd, I wouldn't necessarily try and get a like-for-like like per se. It, I think it depends on who's available. I'd, I'd use it to add genuine quality to some of our... So you'd spread it right. You'd spread it Yeah, around. I think you'd, you'd want to get really good quality players in some of our problematic positions. I think that's fair. I think I think I believe the same. I think I'd look at spreading it around the squad. It, you know, Dak is a superb player, but can you replicate him? Probably not. Um, clubs will know you've got twenty million as well. That's another thing that's interesting with questions like this. All of a sudden, you have twenty million to spend. A player that might cost three suddenly costs six. Um, so again, another, another brilliant question there, Jonathan. I, I quite enjoyed that one as well. It was interesting getting your opinions. Um, I think it was interesting both your reasons for Dak. To be fair, my reason was just that he could give us the most money. Um, now, I hope this question is going to be an easy one, um, but you never know. Um, Toy Bay Rover asks simply, "Who is the fastest player at the club?" Ollie, who do you think the fastest player at Blackburn Rovers is? Uh, it's, yeah, it's tough. Because supposedly McLaws really quick, but I probably haven't watched enough of him. I think my contenders were Armstrong, uh, Chapman, uh, Dolan, Nyambe, Bell, and probably and I think Rothwell's probably quicker than people realise as well. It has to be Armstrong, doesn't it? it? has to be. I think of that group, yeah, I think if you're doing them in a sprint... I think it's. I think Armstrong or Dolan's winning. I think I'm probably going to go. I'll probably say Armstrong. Alex, who are your contenders and who's your winner? I I would just have to basically echo everything that Ollie just said. The only thing I would add to it is I wouldn't encourage sprinting because I just get visions of someone pulling the hamstring and that would <laughs> be a disaster. So. Uh, so let's let's, let's theorise about it rather than encourage a training ground uh, experiment. Oh, I mean, I can't imagine any of the players listen to this and think, "Oh, Alex Tomanoli said they should have a race." Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I do realise I kind of have inflated our own egos. <laughs> a bit yeah, there, but, you've, um, you've bigged us a bit too much. We're, we're a very small corner of the, uh, the the Blackburn community, but a part of the community. Uh, nonetheless and so we reach the penultimate question Um, if you're racking your brains now boys um, with this one look forward to the next question Um, but let's look ahead of ourselves Uh, this question's asked by Robers Chat's very own Jonathan Secker and it is when is our when I sorry I lost my words there guys what is our starting eleven? assuming everyone is fit. So you're 11 out of the fit players. Now, I will mention that, obviously, as we're recording this, um, there's talk of Jonathan Douglas, uh, tribal, as he called, um, and that goalkeeper from Middlesbrough, Ainsley Pars, is it? I'm not Pears. too sure. Apples Pears and Pears. 
Well, yeah, well, there we go. We'll call them apples and pears. Um, so obviously they're, they're rumoured to be there. Um, I'm going to speak as if Douglas and Tribal have been completed because it seems that they have been, according to Twitter sphere. Um, so take that Douglas and Tribal are both 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 Blackburn Robs players. What is your starting eleven when everyone's fit? So you've got the likes of Travis, you've got Dak at your disposal, you've got Joe Rankin Costello, Lewis Holtby's back in and his girlfriend is no longer um, recovering from the pregnancy. You have everyone. There's not a single player there that you don't have to choose from that is currently on Rovers' books. What is your starting eleven, Alex? Um, right, I'll start with the back, f- the, the defenders. So I think it's Kaminsky would would not be a debatable thing, really. I think he started the season very well. Um, got a call up for the Belgium squad, which I was really pleased for him um, because, by all accounts, he'd kind of burnt a few bridges back home in Belgium with some of the errors he'd made at Ghent. So I was really glad to see that he got the call up. So it would have to be him in net. Um, Nyambi, I think, is by far our best right back um, defensively. And then you'd have to say Lenehan for his. Um, just purely the stats for when he's in and when he's not in. And then this is a difficult one. And I never thought I'd be saying this, but Derek Williams has played as well in the past two months as as I've ever seen him play in a Rovers shirt. But I still think that the experience of Ayala and the number of promotions he's had at this level, you'd have to put him in. Then, obviously, you know my feelings about Bell. There's no personal animus there, but I do believe that Barry Douglas will be a better left-back than him. So I'd have to go for Douglas at left-back if he signs. Um, And then midfield three, I would go... Hard to look past the current three, but you'd have to say Travis, Holtby... And Rothwell, and I know I'm leaving out the player of the month in there, uh, which is a might seem a ridiculous thing to do, but as if you if you only allow him one defensive midfielder, I would go for Travis and then the front three, wow. It would be a combination of Dak, Armstrong, and Dolan or Brereton. And that Dolan or Brereton, purely on based on this season, I would go with Dolan. So there's my eleven. Interesting, interesting. Uh, what formation would we play? Would you play the four-three-three that we it, have been playing? Yeah, it would be a four-three-three with Travis as the defensive midfielder, and um, you'd have probably Dak moving around quite a lot, maybe mm-hmm. behind the striker and. Basically giving him freedom to run. But I think they'd be the players I'd pick. Uh, Ollie, what's your um, 11? What formation are you playing? Yeah, I think it'd be 4 3 3 or almost a diamond with two ahead. I think it's I think it's near enough the same. Yeah, Kaminsky, Nyambe, Lenehan. I'm going to say Williams for now because. Because I, I think I've said before, I quite like having. I think if you've got a left-sided centre half who's left-footed, I think it's a nice balance, and he's been very good. Um, 
Bell has been, I sort of try and sing his praises, but and he has been very good for three games. But yeah, if we've got Douglas and are in the four, the way we play now, our width, we actually need an attacking threat from our fullbacks. And I think if you look at Douglas's goals and assists as a fullback at Wolves and Leeds, they're, I mean, they're not beatable by probably any set fullbacks across the whole season. So he's got to go in for me. Yeah, then I'd have Travis as your defensive mid, and it is a, it's harsh on Johnson. I think Holby's too classy to leave out. Um, and I think, and likewise with Rothwell currently as an inner three. And then, yeah, I'd probably have Dak as a front three, but Dak maybe just sort of maybe at the top of almost the diamond with the, those three behind him. And then I, I would be Brereton and Armstrong, I think, because I think they can complement each other quite well. Interesting, interesting. Um, I think it's a really tough question. I was, as you were going through yours, then I was writing, say writing, scribbling, mine down on a, a pen, and pen and paper, and I've changed it a few times. I'm really not sure what I go with. I think I've got something. Um, so I think I stick to more more of a rigid four three three, with two holding midfielders and one number ten, if you will. Um, and obviously, a right winger, a left winger, and a number nine. Um, I do have Kaminsky in goal, Nayambe at right back. I have Lenihan and Ayala as my centre back partner. I know you mentioned Williams, but I just think Ayala, obviously, we're probably going to get our first taste of Ayala and Lenihan as a pair um, at the weekend, obviously, with Williams uh, self isolating. I do put Douglas at left back. Bell has been really good. I think you both mentioned it, but I think Douglas looks a player and obviously he was an influential figure when Wolves got promoted. He, he still played about 15, 20 times last season for Leeds when they went up. So he, he's he's got a good track record of getting clubs out of this league. Um, I go Travis Holtby, more holding. Um, then Bradley Dack, a bit ahead of them and that number 10. Then I have um, Dolan and... Now, I know that Rothwell wants to play centre-mid, so I might be getting a bit of trouble for this. Um, but I'll put Rothwell just at the moment on that left-hand side with Armstrong through the middle. Um, I think that's how I'd go. Um, Rothwell is interchangeable with Ben Brereton. I think Brereton's a decent start to the season. But that's a really tough question. I think the fact that we're scratching our heads over it, though, is, is positive. The fact that Johnson, who's made such a superb start to the season, isn't in any of our squads. Um, I know, obviously, this is banking on all our players being fit, but it shows that we've, we do have some strength in depth. Um, moving on, though, from our starting 11 now. Um, we had a question that came very late in the day, but it was too good not to include, really. And it's a question from Danny Woodworth. Um, basically, he says, comparisons are being made with this season's squad, the 13-14 squad that should have gone up. What would be the combined starting 11 of players since we got relegated? Um, I'm going to assume he means... Um, only from the quality of player we had when they were at Rovers. So Rose, for example, should be judged off his time at Blackburn and not his subsequent misfortunes. Um, also, I'm going to assume he means just from relegation, so that includes every single season in the Championship and that one season in League One. Um, 
So I'm just, I don't think he means just from 13, 14 players and the current squad. Um, Ollie, I'm going to throw this one to you first this time. Um, what is your formation and what is your Rovers squad um, since relegation? Yeah, it's a very, very good question. I think we had quite a lot of fun before the recording trying to sort this out for each. Uh, where I managed to get to... So it's in a 4-2-1-3, which is slightly unorthodox, but it's a, it's a hard question to answer. I've got Rare in goal, so I'm I'm not going with a Robbo or any other goalie. Got Nyembe at right back. Uh, Hanley, Tosin, which hopefully isn't seen as controversial because he was that good. And that I am omitting quite a few good centre-backs. And then a personal favourite, a left-back with Martin Olsen, who just manages to sneak in, I think. I think um, he was definitely there that first season, so I'll give yeah. it And then I've got Travis and Kearney as a two. And that's, yeah, there are some missing out there. And then I've got Dak ahead of those two with a front three of Gested slightly to the right, Rhodes down the middle, and then Armstrong just off to the left. Um because I can't not have any of them. And I think I've, I've been harsh. I think the only player I've been really harsh on is Craig Conway, who, if I could have 12 players, he would be number 12. And I think Ben Marshall would be number 13, if I could have 13. Um, but yeah, that's where I managed to get to, I think. Yeah. Um, go on then, Alex. What's your... What's your... Um... Relegation since relegation eleven. I think this question elicited two really interesting questions, and I think one of those was: Would the thirteen fourteen Boyer team beat the current Marbury team? And the other was that if we had, we've had a lot of good players since we've been relegated, and the only pity is we've not had enough all at once to go up. Um, I think I don't differ that much from what Ollie said. I would probably have Hanley in there instead of Tossin, purely for length Who of time. Because I think, Ollie, did you With, say Hanley and Tossin? Yeah, I said Hanley and oh, Tossin. Oh, I apologise for that. Um, it would be Hanley and Lennon then for me. And then um, Travis and Kearney midfield, like, like, like Ollie. And then Dap behind the front three of Rhodes, Armstrong and Conway. I would have to go with them. Um, I think Conway gets in instead of Gestead because of his service to the club, um, the sheer number of assists, his professionalism. Um, and and who, who are your fullbacks again? Sorry. My, my fullbacks would be Nyambe and Olsen. I, um, I, I don't differ from Ollie in many aspects, only the centre halves and the front three. That's the thing. It's it, it is a tough one. I think that we like we said we were racking our brains a bit before we started recording and just trying to figure out. And I think that you've sort of got to almost throw tactics out the window and just try and fit in the best players um in this sort of one. I still don't know where to go. Um I'm I'm gonna say I did originally have Robinson in net, but I do think you're right. I think Raya is better than him. 
Um, he was probably I'm probably thinking of Robinson when he was in the Premier League rather than Robinson in the Championship. Raya was better, obviously. Um, I would go on Nyambi. Um, centre halves were tricky. I know we said, like I said, we were discussing before. I know there's Scott Dan isn't there. There's Hanley, Lenehan. I know he's not very well regarded anymore. But Shane Duffy had a tremendous season for us at one point. Um, Adra Bios when we spoke about. Um, I think I do go, and I've changed this to one that I've run in my paper. I'm going the same as Ollie. I think I go Hanley and Adarabio. Um Hanley was superb for a period with yours. He was really good. There's a reason Newcastle wanted him. Um, and I go Hanley, Adarabio. Adarabio offers that silkiness on the ball that you love. And then Martin Olsen at left back, as the rest of you have said. Um, my midfield, um, I've changed my formation. I've gone from I've gone to a four four two, um, and Armstrong won't love me for it. Um, but I've got Kenny and Travis as two midfielders. Um, I've got and just to fit him in, I'm going to put Armstrong on the right in right midfield. Like they won't love me for it. It's very attacking this side. And I've gone Conway on the left in left midfield, and I've gone for two up front. I mean two up front. Is Bradley Dak and Jordan Rhodes? Um, I don't think Dak Dak can do the job of holding the ball up. He's got a big bum that he sticks in people's way, and he can do a job of holding the ball up. Um, and Rhodes would love that, and Rhodes would score goals for fun. Um, so that's what I'm going more of that strict four four two. I know that is a bit controversial um, because obviously you're playing Armstrong in a right midfield role, but I think you got to fit Conway in because he was so bloody good. Especially when he first came, um, I did have Marshall written down as well, but I decided not to go with him. I thought Armstrong's too good to leave out. Um, any one, any either of you violently dislike that team? All it's I would say good. on that it sounds quite good when you say it. <laughs> All I would say on that, Tom, is I know you recorded the podcast with Gary Boyer, but you didn't have to steal his four four two. I did. I did go with his four four two. I've never liked Rovers with two in the field, though. I think it's just because we've never had two good enough to do it as a two. But Travis and Kearney probably well, are good well, You could have just shoved Kearney out on the wing because, obviously, that's <laughs> played for a lot of the time he was as well, I think. But that, that, it, it's it, when you look at that, you think, yeah, it's good, a good team. Um, but, obviously, that never was going to happen because all these players have played at different stages in, in Rovers' career. But it's a really good question. I know, like you said, we had some some fun before the podcast, sort of trying to remember all the players and, and put together something of a squad. Um, but on that final question, it is your lot, really. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the 1875 podcast. Um, no talk of games, like we said, just things that you want us to discuss. Um, Alex, thanks for joining me. Ollie, thanks for joining me. And obviously... Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. A girl so alluring, a boy so entranced, a song so inviting, you start to advance. We're locked in a gaze and can't look away.
hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.